Hey friends, do you have questions for God but wonder if it's okay to even ask them? Our guest this week found God was silent and gave him the silent treatment in return. Until that is, she began to ask her questions and found something quite surprising. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 328, Lorianne Wood and Questions in the Silence. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I say thank you every time, but I'm really glad that you are here. Whether you're just discovering the show or you've been listening for a while, um, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy not only this conversation, but we've got uh, thousands and thousands of years of experience walking with the Lord in the feed, if you want to go check that out, if there's, I almost guarantee there's something that you'll relate to. It's in there somewhere. If you want to support the show, two things you can do. Just tell a friend. That's the best thing. It's cheap. It's free, right? Just tell a friend and say, hey, you got to listen to this story. Or you can always go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, hit that Patreon button and support the show financially. It's just like five bucks a month. If you can do that, I would appreciate it. Uh, and I'm actually, I think, uh, we're going to be working on some new, some new things to offer there. So maybe I'll tell you about that next time. All right. Well, well, so let's dive in. I'm excited to get going. Our guest, she's a Christian author and a heart failure survivor. I can't wait to hear that story because I'm sure it was, uh, is a big deal. Our guest is Lori Ann Wood. Lori Ann, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. So great to be here. What a blessing. Yeah, I'm glad to uh, connect with you. And I was looking over some of your story and the materials that you sent, and it sounds like you've got quite the story. I can't wait to hear it. But tell us a little more about kind of who you are and where God has you right at the moment. Yes, I am really a lifelong believer. I think I knew about God as soon as I knew about my parents, probably. And um, I had... uh, kind of chugged along there as a Christian and as a believer. And then once I got detoured, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, I found myself in sort of a faith crisis. And that was when I was able to slow down long enough and really examine some things in my life. And so spiritually, I am doing well and um, in some honest conversations with God and keeping those going. And uh, physically I am holding steady. So. Yeah, that's great. How long have you been writing? You know, I, like so many people, I feel like I've had a book inside me all my adult <laughs> life and it wasn't until 2019. I think I started writing, um, this heart failure journey kind of ah. reordered my priorities a little bit and then I've started having articles published in, in those years. And then about a year ago, a small publisher picked up my book and it's coming out in 2023. So it's been pretty fast uh, writing wise, I guess, in the writing world, yeah. but not much of my life spent writing. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I was curious about that. So, uh, and I don't even know like what part of the country are you from? Where'd you grow up? I have lived in Bentonville, Arkansas for about uh-huh. 30 years. Uh, we raised our family here, and but I didn't grow up here. I grew up in South Central Kansas and on a wheat and cattle farm, which is now a wind farm, and yeah. have lots of stories from there, and then slowly migrated over a few times until I got to Bentonville, Arkansas. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Yeah, interesting. Kansas is an interesting place, isn't it? It's mm. uh it's definitely yeah, wheat fields and but you get you get kind of those very interesting um days sometimes where like the sky it'd be cloudy, but it'd be kind of blue and kind of gray, right? And then you get the beautiful wheat fields and the sun shining through and oh. it'll kind of like lights up. Yeah, I've I've been there a couple of times and I've that's that's my enduring memory of Kansas. Oh, I'd have to tell you when we we lived in Arkansas, raised our kids here, and we were marveling at the mountains, you know, the Ozark Mountains mm-hmm. and all of that and just the trees. And our kids were oblivious to it because they grew up here and we would take them back to Kansas and they were marveled at the sunsets because it was yeah. flat and beautiful and you could see 
all the colors of the sunset, my husband and I are like, eh, we saw that all the time growing <laughs> up. No big deal. So <laughs> I know I tell people all the time, I grew up in Iowa, so not far from there. Mm. And there were a few places that were exotic for me, Florida, Colorado, California, and Hawaii, right? Those are the places in the country that I was like, <laughs> oh, that sounds great. And now I live in Colorado. So I, I, but my kids are just like that. We're like, oh, mountains, big deal. Like, no, 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 yeah. you don't understand. Anyway, <laughs> I, I can relate to that. Well, very good. So growing up in Kansas, sounds like it was Christian family. You knew the Lord, kind of, kind of all, all the, all of your mm-hmm. life, which is a great story. Tell me about growing up. What was it like? What was, uh, you know, what was the spiritual climate in your house, and how did your faith develop? Mm-hmm. I think. I can say probably pretty definitively that I heard the voice of God first through the lips of my mother. She was a very strong believer. She was uh, someone who lived what she believed and uh, just really instilled it in her in her children. And so I I knew from early on that faith was an important thing, that it was a big part of your life, that it wasn't something that you did on the fringes and, and we observed all, all the Christian holidays. And we uh, spent a lot of time in church and, and church groups. And it was, it was a, you know, I look back on it now as after having been a parent and think about what a, what a marvelous job they did with what little resources they had to work with at the time. And what a blessing. My parents both passed away in 2020 and Mm. my siblings and I have just now taken the time to look back and say, what, what a blessing we had in the way that we were raised in the values that we had and in, in the security that we had. And that was never something that I, uh, appreciated kind of like, you know, those sunsets. I didn't appreciate it when it was happening, but looking back, I can see that they really laid a foundation for my faith that made it something that was just so solid. Give me one or two experiences that you look back down and you go, that was really actually good for me, even though either you didn't like it or you were like, you didn't appreciate it at the time. Right. So my, my parents were I think probably like most parents that in those days were um, didn't speak about loving each other, loving us as much as we do now. Now we're just all about, I love you all the time. And uh, one of the things I can remember my dad did when he walked me down the aisle at my wedding, he slipped a little note in my hand and it was like he tended to do. It was written with a pencil, sharpened pencil on this <laughs> little scrap of paper. And I still have that paper framed, but it's getting a little tattered now. I carried it in my wallet too long. But it's it, basically it said, I didn't always tell you when you were growing up because I didn't think I needed to. But just in case, I love you. Oh. And I just I kept that for so long because he was just a very practical man. And he was a very, um, he was a scientist at the at heart. And he, he and I related a lot because faith didn't come easy for him and it didn't come easy for me either. And he passed away from lung cancer and toward the end of his life, we did a lot of phone calls. It was during the pandemic. So we were, had to be separated, but we did a lot of phone mm-hmm. calls and, um, and and emails back and forth about trying to sort out, you know, what was happening with, with his health and what was happening with my health. And it was such a blessing that even though that pandemic was happening and we couldn't be together, I feel like I got into the heart of my dad like I wouldn't have otherwise. Mm. And I saw him bridge that gap and become even a deeper believer toward the end of his life. And that was a blessing that I'll just never forget. Yeah, that is really special. Uh, okay. So how did, did faith come to you? How did you find your faith personally as, uh, as you grew? Cause as you grow up, it's one thing to grow up in a Christian family, but it always has to become your own, doesn't it? So how did that happen for you? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I did just sort of do the expected things. I, 
you know, was a Christian. I continued, I married a Christian man. We raised our children in the church and everything seemed to be going along really well. I had this life trajectory planned out. And when I got a really difficult health diagnosis, I, it hit me between the eyes. And, um, even though there are, there were some symptoms I should have noticed years before, it really felt like it came out of the blue and that became something of, uh, a period of time where I needed to ask some questions and I needed to have the permission to ask those questions. And when I did, that's when I started to get this piece that I don't think I had had in my Christian life. And maybe I hadn't had a Mm. need for it so much, but I started to understand what that piece that passes understanding was about. Yep. And once I got a hold of that, I felt like I had this renewed uh, faith or renewed relationship with my faith because I I got it. It was like, it wasn't just something I'd heard about and done and it had worked for me and it was a win situation. It was a piece that came from the spirit that I hadn't, I hadn't experienced before. And once I got that, I felt like that was a turning point when I fully owned this faith. When was that? Well, it was when I, shortly after I was diagnosed about seven years ago. Okay. So I just want to make sure I I get this, this timeline for our friends. So you grew up in a Christian family, you got married, you you kind of were doing all the Christian things, right? Going to church, probably involved doing the Bible studies, things like that. All the the stuff you were supposed to do. Um, And then, and it wasn't until you actually had this uh, diagnosis that you actually had to ask some harder questions. Yes. And, and it was to the point where, I mean, my husband and I had been on mission trips. We were a team that taught in a mission field for 10 summers, right. Leading up to Mm. my diagnosis. And I kind of felt like, honestly, I felt a little bit guilty asking the questions. I felt a little bit like I was a fraud, maybe like, how can I, at this point in my life, how can I get to this point and ask those questions because they were basic questions and mm. it felt a little bit scandalous or a little bit like I was throwing God under the bus and I had to work through that. So I'm really interested in that because I don't think you're alone, right? No. I think, um, so I, I have this contention. I talk about it on here probably more often than I should, but it's one of my agendas for this show. And it's that a lot of our churches, not that you went to a bad church or anything or anybody, you know, any church is bad, but it's not really designed. They're, they aren't really designed to create disciples and to take them deep. I have my reasons for that. Um, but, and we, we could, that's a whole different conversation, right? But one of them is because it's not until we reach a crisis point or a moment when we feel like, hey, God let us down here feels like you let us down, that we have to start asking some of those questions. And then we grow deeper. And so I want to come back to that part of it because I think, and and I'm sure we will, because that is really, really uh, formational. But I want to talk about that season beforehand. Mm -hmm. So you were involved, you were in, Mm -hmm. uh, you were doing all the things in the church. What was your life with the Lord like? What was it? What was your experience of God? Did you have mentors or were there like certain scriptures or practices or things that were that kind of stand out to you as like, this is, this is what we do. This is what my faith is like. This is how I'm getting nurtured, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I approached my faith a lot. Like I approached my life where I was kind of ruled by my lists and I had Mm. these tasks that I felt like I needed to do. And, and part of that is just, it comes about when you're raising kids, you know, you've got schedules, you've got things they have to do and things they need to learn and i just got pulled into that big time and and so my faith sort of followed into that as well we had mentors but they were all designed about how do we parent right or how do we mm-hmm. you know are we doing date nights are we you know it wasn't about the faith at the base it was about what do i need to be doing am i doing the right things and so 
in that respect, I can look back and see that I had, I, I was doing all the right things. And I was, you know, from the outside, it looked like everything and it was going well. But like you said, once the wheels start coming off and you get pushed off on this detour, that's when things really start to get real and you have to start making some decisions about what you're going to do going forward. Yes. Okay. So that was a really good summary. I think I want to be careful. And this is just what I, for me, because I tend to look at that season sometimes as not, and not just for you, but for, for everybody, when I talk about it as not as significant, right. As, it, as maybe it is, but it is, and it is part of the journey. The question is always for all of us, it's part, it's like, what's, what is that season where you were learning things you were serving. I mean, that's amazing that you went overseas for, it was overseas for 10 years, right? Is that what you said? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's an amazing act of service. And I'm sure those that shaped you in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. Gave you some perspective that you otherwise wouldn't have had. And so that's, those are all valuable things and we all have to go through it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, but part of the message of this show is there's more, right? There's more to it. So then you get this diagnosis. Did it, was it like out of the blue or was it like, what was that like for you? And then describe some of those very specific questions that you were asking God that felt to you that were kind of simple, but you all of a sudden had to wrestle with them again. Mm-hmm. Yes. But when this started, I was, uh, th- this was in late 2015. I had a medical evaluation and I was told that I had less than 3% chance of ever developing heart disease. And it was because I I had such good numbers. I had low blood pressure. I had low cholesterol. I had an active, healthy lifestyle. I'd never been hospitalized outside of childbirth. I, you know, I was a good bet. I had no family history. I had no risk factors. And then three weeks after that evaluation, I was in cardiac ICU with end-stage heart failure. And my heart was functioning at 6%. And and it seems odd, you know, people hear that and they think, how did you not know that? <laughs> right. I have to, you know, it seems like I should have known. And looking back in the years preceding that, I should have known there were some warning signs. But at the time, I thought I had the flu. I thought I had maybe pneumonia. I was just fatigued. I couldn't breathe really well. And, you know, it was flu season. And that was what I was thinking it was. But when I got that diagnosis, we later learned from from local doctors. And then I was later flown to Cleveland Clinic and became a patient of the head of transplant in the in cardiology there. And I didn't know. I was her most critical patient at the Cleveland Clinic. I was an outpatient, but I was her most critical patient for a year and a half. Wow. And she said mine was one of the largest hearts she'd ever seen, which all of this was just coming at us from, you know, people were saying, we don't think you'll leave the hospital initially. Maybe you have 90 days, maybe. And then maybe you have six months. And wow that's when that piece started coming in because I left the hospital with a life vest, which is an external uh, defibrillator. And I wore that for nine months and I take a lot of high powered medication. And then I eventually had implanted a, a pacemaker an internal defibrillator that's specially used for heart failure. And, and then I just sort of waited because there was a 16 month period where nothing happened. I didn't get any better. I, they had done everything. They had used every bullet in their arsenal to help me outside of transplant. And I wasn't getting any better. And my faith was just like, I don't know. I, it was a really silent time. And I, I'm just so thankful looking back. I had people praying around the clock for me because I wasn't praying. It was um, one of the lowest points no. in my life, spiritually and physically, obviously. And and then uh, 16 months to the day that I was diagnosed, 
my heart function tested in the normal range. Wow. And it was just out of the blue. No one knew just as much as it was out of the blue when I was at 6%, you know, when I was at 55%, which is in the normal range, they're like, I don't know how that happened. And that's when I thought my story was about, you know, divine healing. And it was about the power of prayer and God's provision. And I thought, okay, I got it. I got the story. I'm going to tell that story. I'm on it. And then three years ago, my heart function dropped and I was in active heart failure again. And so that up and down has been part of not only my health journey, but my faith journey, because, you know, during that silent period, I did a whole lot of online searching about what is heart failure. I had really didn't know what that even was. And I learned that it's a a chronic progressive disease. And so what that means is you always have it and it goes in one direction. So medical Mm -hmm. science can manage the symptoms for most people and they can slow down that progression, but ultimately it only goes downhill. And during that downhill, you can have some ups and downs, which is what I was doing. And, but now I'm, as I said before, I'm holding steady at a lower plateau now, and I'm blessed to be a really high functioning heart failure patient. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So obviously that's scary, right? I can only Mm -hmm. imagine. Um, And I can, I can understand the ups and the downs. It's really interesting that during that, that first stint with it, uh, you didn't really experience God at all, or you were kind of like, that's not really, you weren't reading and praying. Was that, and you called it the silent period. Was that because God, God was silent or you were silent? Well, I, I kind of figured out, God was silent at first Mm -hmm. to me, and I felt like he was silent for all the prayers. I was anointed at church, and nothing happened from that, and I felt like he was being silent, and so I gave him the silent treatment right back, and what I assumed in God's silent period is that he was ignoring me or he wasn't doing anything, and what I didn't realize is that he was working behind the scenes, and he was doing things that were much more important than putting my heart at, at a normal function, my physical heart. So that's what happened during that time when, uh, when that time was silent and I, I couldn't hear God. And so I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know. I might be done with you. I don't know. I'm not hearing anything. I don't think this is working when I really need you. You're not really there. Mm, Right. And that's a really common reaction to, um, the dark night of the soul, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. so in your case, it was a physical ailment that sent you into the desert, uh, if we could call it that. Mm -hmm. So from there, that, and I I love what you said, by the way, about God was silent. So I gave him the silent treatment back. I was, that's absolutely, that's, that's a very honest statement, right? That's something that, uh, I think we can all relate to at some level, uh, that, of course, of course, it makes sense. So, from there, though, how, did did the ice break between you and God at a certain point, or what? Like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Or was it was that after maybe you figured out, oh, okay, the heart's working better now? Right. I think I learned first in that in that initial sixteen month period when before I had a normal heart function that first time is I learned a couple of things about. Um, when it feels like you can't talk to God, when it feels like you don't have the words, you're physically exhausted, which makes you mentally exhausted. You just don't have the energy to dig deep into that. And it's not coming easy. And I learned a couple Mm -hmm. of things that way. One of the things I learned is that when we're in those situations where we don't feel like we can talk to God, or we feel like it might not be very effective is that it's okay to borrow words. It's okay to borrow words from, you know, scripture. There's, you know, in Mm -hmm. all kinds of places, there's hard conversations that people have had with God in Psalms and Lamentations and Ecclesiastes and Job and even Jesus on the cross, you know, why have you forsaken me? 
So there's just so many times in the Bible where people find it hard to talk to God, but they say what they're really thinking. You know, David in the Psalms would say, why, where are you? How long? And I guess I had missed that, honestly, Mm. (laughs) until I really needed it. And so I learned it was okay to borrow those words and it's okay to borrow the words of other writers. Sometimes when we're really hurting, or it was in my case, just going straight to scripture felt a little uh, daunting to me. It felt a little like too rich. I needed something Mm -hmm. a little easier. I needed someone to ease me into it. And so I I started reading other Christian authors and other Christian people who had gone through things similar to what I was going through. And I borrowed the words of others in prayer. I I had mentioned that people were praying for me. I have framed prayer chains that I still have on hand where people, and some of them are still praying, signed up for a specific time, 24 hours a day to pray, set their timer on their phone and they prayed. And those words got me through when I didn't have the words to do it. Boy, I love the way you put that too. It's okay to borrow words. So many uh, of God's people have done that, right? I mean, absolutely Mm -hmm. going to scriptures and learning how to pray them, pray in them is a tried and true discipline, right? Mm -hmm. But it's interesting too that you didn't you didn't do that until you needed to do that, right? Like there's a season, there's mm-hmm. a time for that. And then, and then all of a sudden, all of those suffering, all those passages about suffering suddenly become relevant, right? And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you, I, I understand that now. What have you learned about yourself as you've gone through this uh, circumstance? Usually God will take away some identities. So maybe there's some things that you like unlearned and then some, He'll give you some new identities as well. What has he given you? Mm -hmm. I think it, and I think I can look back at myself as a, as a mother too, maybe, and say that I, I wasn't really great at entertaining questions and I didn't encourage questions and I, you know, wish that I would have done more of that. And I think that was revealed to me that Questions were something that if I didn't have the answer to them, I didn't really want to bring them up. I didn't want to bring up a question and have it just hanging there. That just felt so messy. You know, whether it was, you know, your teenager asking you a hard question, ooh, don't bring that up because I'm not sure I have the answer to that. That's going to be the appropriate answer. And that that's just a hard, hard place to live in faith because most of us, I think, have more questions than we do answers, if we're being honest. And I, throughout that, as I'm looking at and thinking about uh, what what I do with these questions, I think it became apparent to me what so many of people have said before is that the opposite of faith is not questioning. The opposite of faith is just walking away. It's indifference. And if you have a question and you're poking and prodding and wrestling with God over this question, then you're actually, your faith's getting stronger. It's getting more focused. It's getting more discerning. And if we're contending with God, then we're having to choose him again and again. And again, every day, every time a question comes up, you're like, "Mm, okay, do I do that or not? Do I choose God again? But when we just choose God one time and put him on a shelf and walk away, that's when our faith starts to falter. And that's what happened to me in the early years is I had God and I put him on the shelf Mm. and I didn't allow those questions to keep that vibrant relationship going. And so it started to weaken. And then once I actually got my diagnosis and got through that silent period, I was able to question and bring that back up. And I, you know, I think about Peter was quoted in the sixth chapter of John when he said, 
to whom will we go? Where are we going to go? You are the word, the one that has the words of eternal life, because all of this is going to happen. You're going to get pushed off the main road. You're going to get detoured. You're going to find your life not turning out the way you want to. And you can do that with God or you can do it without God. But if you're with God, you have to ask those questions and you have to wrestle it down in your own life and get hold of it. What were some of your questions? Oh, I had so many. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. But you know, what was funny is I started, uh, my friend dropped a, it's just a little notebook off in my ICU room when I was first admitted. And I spent two weeks in there in ICU with defibrillator pads stuck to my chest and I had a pick line and, you know, the doctors were saying, ah, she's not going to leave. And my friend dropped a little notebook by, and I, I, I think she meant for it to have for me to write down, you know, lists or phone numbers or medications or something. And my husband pointed to it one day and he said, we need to be writing down what's happening, you know, what you're thinking and what's going through your head. And I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to ever relive it. I didn't want to ever think back on it. I wanted to be mm. done and I wanted to go back to my old life. And so at first, I started just writing complaints in that notebook about, I don't get it. Why is this happening? This doesn't seem like it matches up with who you are and what you said. And then from that, I, once I got home, I, I couldn't, I would, had been a uh, college teacher for 25 years and I couldn't stand up and do lectures anymore, but I found I could sit at my computer and type and I had all the energy for that. So I started just typing out my journal and I did that for a couple of years. And then I stepped back and looked at my journal and everything I was writing fell into sort of three buckets, three questions. And these overall questions were just so basic that it was almost embarrassing, but I could see those <laughs> writings, all the articles and journal entries and everything I was doing, the blogging was all going into these three questions. And then I later saw that those are basically the same three questions that Jesus faced when he was detoured into the desert right before his public ministry. And, you know, we call those the temptations when Jesus was tempted in the desert. But a temptation is really just a question that we wrestle with in our mind. Like, oh, I've got this opportunity. Am I going to do that? Am I not going to do it? Would it be worth it? Would it not be worth it? Yep. And that those three questions were the exact same three buckets that everything I was thinking was going into. So that's when I thought, okay, there's something about these three questions. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Um, and it's interesting that that was kind of your your questions as well. So I also, I don't, it's not lost on me that that event for Jesus was a highly formational one. Like we may not think of it that way. We like to think of Jesus as being kind of fully foreign because he was God, but at the end of what happens, right? Mm -hmm. the, mm -hmm. the devil leaves and, uh, you know, he ends up being the angels bring him food and all that, whatever. Uh, but, he knows as a result of that, who he is, right? He knows his identity and that is what happens. I think with us, I hear you speaking about that as well. So what are the questions and, and give us kind of those buckets? Yeah. So in the account that's in uh, Matthew, the first thing that happens when Jesus is led into the desert is the enemy says, tell these stones to become bread. And a very hungry Jesus was wrestling with the idea of, oh, that kind of sounds like a great idea. Is my physical survival the most important concern I have? Is that the thing that should be top of mind for me? And when we're in the desert, when I was in this medical desert in the middle of it, that was my question. I'm looking on the internet and trying to figure out how to stay alive, what I need to do. How long do I have? 
And so that first question is the question of worry. And the question is, is this life all there is? Because Mm -hmm. if this life is all there is, then eat that bread, plan for today, do what you want. And we all wrestle with that question at some point in our lives, but especially when we're on a faith detour or a life detour, it could be a divorce or loss of a child or bankruptcy or loss of a dream, whatever it is, we ask ourselves, is this life all there is? Because that's going to change what I do going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's certainly it. And I can see why you'd be wrestled with that, you know, when you have it, when you're faced with a physical crisis, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it, you know, it was, a, I, I knew that I had a limited amount of time and, you know, to be honest, this is a life limiting illness. So I still ask that question. I honestly still mm-hmm. ask all three of these questions, uh, because that's, that's just the kind of believer I am. I think, you know, for my husband, faith comes really easily, but for me, and I think for my dad that I talked about earlier, Faith comes through these questions and wrestling and and grabbing hold of it and just really getting down in there and figuring it out. And sometimes it's painful and not very pretty, but that's how I came to that question was, is should I live for the moment? Is there should I be doing something else or do I just worry about these whatever numbered days they're telling me I have left? Yeah. What was the second question? So the second question, and in Matthew again, when Jesus went into the desert, the second question the enemy, or the second temptation the enemy said was, throw yourself down and the angels will protect you. In other words, he said, jump off this cliff and I bet you won't get hurt because you're God's favorite. You are, he loves you. He loves you. And if he loves you, he won't let you walk into harm. He won't let you be hurt. He won't let this disease harm you. He loves you. And so the question, the second question is the question of doubt. And that question is, is God always good? Is this God that I've known all my life that I have prayed to and served and talked about all my life, is he always good? Because this doesn't feel like love. And maybe my current pain, does it indicate God's level of care for me? Does he really love me? Is there, is there a relationship here? And, you know, even at that point, that one was one that was, that felt kind of messy to me in particular, because I I knew God was always good in my head, but my mm. life was telling me something else. And so I came back to that really basic question after decades of being a Christian and had to really wrestle with that again. Well, what you're describing is the difference between having a theoretical idea about what something is about and experiencing God in it. Right. Experiencing that he is good, even though you don't like your circumstances. Mm -hmm. Right. And believing him through that. Absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. Uh, Really interesting experience. Uh, Interesting that that's where you, where you came to it with it. That's, that's. um, Yes. And I I think one of the things that was (laughs) maybe the saddest realization as I wrestled with that question is that I had been equating the goodness of God with how well my life was matching this plan I had made in my brain, not his promise, but what I had conjured up. And if it was not matching what I had conjured up in my head, then God must not be good. Right. And that's, so that's a very tough lesson to learn. Right. And Mm -hmm. most of us don't learn that until we have to learn it the hard way that it's the, our, exactly what you said. Our plan is not necessarily his plan, right? And that Mm. his goodness doesn't hinge on our lives going well. That hurts. That hurts Mm. a little bit. Doesn't it friends? That hurts to even think about, but his character never changes. uh, Even when our circumstances 
do. Wow. Okay. Uh, did you want to share the third one? Yeah, the third one. You've already, you're way ahead of me. You mentioned it already <laughs> just now. But the third one is when Satan said to Jesus in the desert, bow down to me and everything you see will be yours. And so what he's saying is, if you'll bow down to me, something other than God, then you'll get all these benefits. And Jesus had to be thinking, hmm, I kind of know what's ahead and it's not real pretty picture that's ahead of me. So maybe this is a better plan. Maybe God had a plan, but maybe we could tweak it a little bit. Maybe I could have some input on it. And so that third question is the question of control, which mm -hmm. very tough one for me. Is God's plan enough? Is, is this enough? Is this enough for this to be my life story? Am I, uh, am I all in on this enough if this ends poorly? And I'm going to trust God to end this story the way it needs to be ended for his kingdom instead of for my benefit and my pleasure. Yeah. Oh, control is absolutely right there. And I think that's one of those questions we all have to wrestle with, uh, particularly with God. Is he in control or are we in control? And if we take control, he'll let us, right? But that often, mm -hmm. as you said earlier, kind of ends up in some places that we don't want to go uh, many times. Mm -hmm. Um but surrendering to him. So this is kind of actually the point of the dark night of the soul, by the way, right? Is mm -hmm. taking away our control, our illusion that we are at the wheel and giving and recognizing that he is actually the one who's in control and whatever he wants for us is what we'll have. And that it is, it is for his, his glory and our good uh, mm -hmm. as, as we go through it. Right. Yes. And I, one of the things that's played into that for me is that I finally figured out that my faith shouldn't have me at the center of it, number one. <laughs> and I think it had. And also that we are just this one small part of a really big story. Just like the, mm -hmm. you know, all the people we know in scripture were part of this same story and we're no less important. We're part of that story too. And sometimes we don't get to see the end of the story arc in our lifetime. We want right. our little part to end and we want to see the finish of it. But, you know, you think about people in scripture that they probably weren't seeing the end of their story. You think about the apostles or Stephen or John the Baptist. Did their story make sense in their lifetime? I don't think so. We can look back and see now how it fit into God's bigger story. And yet we want the story that we're living today to have this tidy end to it. We want it to all, all the things to work together for good during our lifetime. And unfortunately, that's not always how it works. And so I started to see that that control, by giving God control, you're saying, I trust you with this bigger narrative that you're writing. I'm part of it, but I might not see the entire story or plot line in my life. And, you know, I liken it to reading one chapter of a book and thinking that you understand the entire story because you saw one chapter and there's no way we can do that. Right. Okay. You reminded me of Hebrews 11. I'm like a lot of people. It's one of my favorite passages, but there's this verse, verse 39. These were all after describing all these people that, you know, had come before. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Right. Mm -hmm. And then part of the, part of the glory then is that actually we get what they were promised because we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit and we get to live life with God. Um, and that's actually the thing that we get, right? It's not, you don't get any guarantees about your physical life, your relationships, your uh, monetary, you know, wealth, whatever, but you get the guarantee of Jesus and who he is and him, uh, you know, being your, being your prize, right? Like being the reward that we get, which is actually uh, kind of, kind of amazing and sort of perspective shifting a little bit. Yes. Yes. And all of those, you know, that I think it's interesting when we start thinking about our story and our part in the bigger story 
is that, you know, the Bible has all these stories and Jesus taught in stories and it wasn't just an accident. And I think when we can share, that's why I love the idea of your podcast is because when we can share a story and we can see a reflection of what we're experiencing in someone else's life, then we sort of get it. And we feel this camaraderie and this companionship, and we know we're not alone. And that is, I think, the key to uh, you know, we're all we're all sort of on these parallel paths. We're not on the same path for sure, but they're all sort of parallel. And that's why when when Jesus would use a story, that we can pick up pieces of that because we're on a parallel path, and we can see that. And that when we can allow that vulnerability to share a story and let someone into what's happening and be honest about it. And some of that's through questions and some of it's just through sharing, then they become, begin to see their story differently. And so that's yeah. kind of the magic of all of that with the scriptures from the old Testament and the new Testament. I think there's a reason that so much of both uh, is full of narrative, right? Because mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. what people relate to. And we hear those stories I tell you what, my life changed when I started, I have a biblical studies degree, right? So I can get into the weeds with anybody. I know how to do that. But uh, it changed when I stopped reading scripture like that and started reading it for the story and for the story of people, humanity's relationship with God. That's just this whole different twist that like doesn't just stop with one life. It doesn't stop with Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. It goes on to... Moses and Joshua and moves on from there, right? Over and over and over again. And the beautiful invitation, my friends, for you and for me and for Lorianne is that we get to be part of it. We're part of that big story. So I don't, I don't love, I, I can't keep up with a reading the Bible in a year. I can't, just can't keep up with it. But I love the idea because if you can get that big sweep and realize that you are part of it and you've been invited, um, that actually is really great news. It's a really, really good uh, story and invitation to be part of. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, I, you know, one of the things that I noticed as I started writing, most of my writing includes just a story from some period of time in my life that not heart related, just some common stories, childhood, raising children, adulthood, losing my parents, whatever it was. And those stories just drew people in and in ways that only God could orchestrate. They, they were everyone's stories and, Mm -hmm. and the, the great thing, that's how my book became instead of just, here's what happened in my heart failure journey. It became this collection of essays because each standalone little story became part of this bigger idea of wow, I'm wrestling with this question because this happened in my life and this happened earlier in my life. And people were, were saying that is what I relate to. I don't, I don't have heart failure. I'm not Mm -hmm. walking that path with you. Don't have anything health related, baby, but I get it because of the story that you put with it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Stories are really powerful. And I think uh, that's one reason we do that here, right? So I I haven't told you this, but I was a terrible preacher. I did not enjoy, I was thinking about this yesterday, went to seminary. I did not enjoy preaching. And what I perceived as telling people what to do, like what, here's what the scripture means, and this is what you should do with it. That did not resonate for me. But when um, I realized that character is actually shaped through story, that had a tremendous impact. And it's actually the reason why we do this podcast the way we do. Um, I don't, I, you know, I mean, we, we share lots of great things and if that resonates with you friends then it's good, but what I hope that you get is the story and that God is at work. And if you get that, then I think we're, we're doing okay. That's, that's what mm-hmm. we're after. So I love it. Okay. Lorianne, thank you for sharing some of your, your story with us. I think it's been very powerful what God's done. And I, I just love that, that arc of being your faith kind of going from you focused to being God focused. And it's, that's some tragedy and 
you've got some maybe even harder stuff, right? So go, going through that, like you said, it kind of is, it doesn't go away. Um, mm-hmm. And so I appreciate your bravery in sharing that with us. Um, you, so you did write this book and it comes out shortly here from, from when we're, uh, when you're hearing this friends, the book is called divine detour and give me the uh, subtitle and tell me where people can find it. Yeah. So it's divine detours. The title and the subtitle is the path you'd never choose can lead to the faith you've always wanted. And it is available through cross river media, but it's also on my website, which might be easier to find. And that's at laurieannwood.com slash books. And if anyone's interested in those initial <laughs> questions that I had from the hospital and the, the pleas that I made and then the promises that I eventually dug through and found from scripture, that's available on my website too. And that's free, a free download. And that's at laurieannwood.com slash hope. Love that. Okay. laurieannwood.com friends. You can find all of that there. And of course, always at halfway there podcast.com. We have show notes. So if you're driving, doing the dishes, vacuuming, whatever, uh, you don't have to remember it. Just go go there as well. Okay, uh, Lorianne, thank you again for sharing your story. Is there anything you want to leave us with? I just want to, for those people that were like me and, and you know, things are going along fine and they're putting God on a shelf and forgetting about those questions that are sort of gnawing at the, at the hem of their garment. Um, I just want you to remember that God desperately wants to keep the conversation going and that's how your faith is strengthened and if that's through questions then he welcomes those questions and so that's what may need to be happening in your faith right now and if it is that's a great conversation to start with god yes and amen embrace your questions because he loves it like that's actually the way that he wants to relate to you what does what does Israel mean? The one who wrestles with God, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that is what God wants, and that's what it means to have a relationship with Him. Love it, Lorian. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.